I am Rhoda Dakar. I've been a professional musician for 40 years. Initially, I was in a band called Body Snatchers, an all-female two-tone band, for 13 months. And then at that time, we produced two singles. Um, thereafter, I was in a band called Special AKA, which was kind of a few of the specials, and they kind of all gradually dropped out um, after the Fun Boy 3 left. And it was just ended up being just Brad and Jerry and a whole lot of new people. Uh, some of whom I'd known for a long time, some who were very new to me. And I think the best work we produced out of that was Free Nelson Mandela. Um, ever since then, I've kind of done, I've done all sorts of things. I've worked in fashion. I've done a bit of uh, graphic design. And now as an elder statesman, stateswoman, I'm kind of a bit of a serial committee member so I'm I'm a patron of the music venue trust which is desperately trying to save all the music venues which are obviously and at the point of going under because they kind of operate with a very very narrow margin anyway at best of times and right now these aren't the best of times and so uh, music venue trust is is desperately trying to negotiate with government to explain to them what culture is and why we need it I'm an ambassador for tonic music for mental health which is a mental health charity down on the South Coast. But yeah, I'm kind of all-round troublemaker and uh, a musician. And currently I have a single out with Dub Pistols called Stand Together, which is about how we've taken two steps back uh, in the fight against racism. And, uh, you know, we've got to stand together to move forward again. So let's kick off with what are your views on the recent events in the USA? the killings of George Floyd and Tony McDade, the police countdown, etc. Uh, well, what's anybody's opinion? It's, it's wrong, but uh, it's not the first not and won't be the last. I think the, the best quote I've seen so far was uh, Will Smith saying, racism hasn't got worse, it's just got filmed, and that's it. So, you know, without the advent of the camera phone, we wouldn't have known anything about George Floyd, and nobody would have cared. Uh, it does feel like a bit of a tipping point. I mean, you know, ask me in a year's time, see what's actually changed. Um, but it feels like a bit of a tipping point because everybody's annoyed and everybody's got, you know, I mean, we're all angry. We've been sat at home for weeks. Everybody's angry. I guess in every country, everybody's got their own axe to grind because it's not about George Floyd. That was just the straw that broke the camel's back. It's statues of slave owners being removed and chucked into the into the river. It's that sort of thing. I mean, that's, there's a lot of clearing up to do in the UK and, and around the world. I've seen people in in Brussels shouting at the statue of uh, draping the statue of Leopold I think it's Leopold II I'm bound to be wrong but draping him in the flags of the the DRC you know because he was his his reign in the Congo was so brutal so dreadfully brutal cutting off people's hands and legs and things like that somebody has uh, who is the local you know I'm the the local news person has said they're saying they're calling him a murderer. Actually, what they're saying is uh, uh, reparations. That's what they're actually asking for. But hey, you know, pardon me for speaking French and understanding what they're saying. But I think he was English, English in Belgium and just saying, oh, yeah, there's a whole load of black people who are saying something. It doesn't really matter what it is, but this is what I'll say they're saying. I mean, you know, come on. Caught you. Caught you. They're saying reparation. reparations. That's what they want. And quite, you know, quite deservedly so. From what I've seen today, I think it's five years ago that the British government finally paid off the debt where they 
paid reparations to the slave owners for giving up their slaves. So uh, I'm expecting a call any minute with my, uh, you know, my little payout. Thank you very much. Cool. So how do you respond to people who say they support peaceful protests, but they condemn what they're calling rioting? Bollocks. Simple as that, it's bo bollocks. I've no, I've, I can't be bothered to say anything to those people. Um, so yeah, bollocks. Okay, fair enough. Um, and the next question then, how similar or different do you think policing of BAME communities is between the USA and the UK and why? Uh, the police don't routinely carry guns. That's the difference. It's, it's okay. that. And what difference do you think that makes to people's experience, how people experience racism? Um, mm, well, my son is 23. He may not have got to that age in the US. Um, it's that simple. I mean, he has been handcuffed outside the front door for uh, cycling on the pavement for about 50 metres. You know, so he was he was handcuffed as, I don't know, 15, was he? Maybe 15, cycling on the pavement um, in, I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a busy pavement. There was nobody on the pavement, but the last bit of the pavement from the main road to our house, he cycled on the pavement. And um, yeah, he was, he was put in handcuffs for that. And the white woman who walked past him, who knew him, did nothing, just looked. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that's par for the course, mm. you know, and it's like, well, I don't walk past. And, and frankly, because I went to two church schools, I was, I was indoctrinated um, with Christianity. Uh, I, I never believed in it, but I just, you know, absorbed it. And that's just, that's being the, um, the bad Samaritan, that is. You know, until, until a black child can be, <laughs> somebody can say, Oi, you shouldn't be cycling on the pavement. Well, actually, he was he was in a BMX bike and the wheels were very small and he had a helmet on so he couldn't hear the guy. And yes, I write letters of complaint. And yes, we got three written apologies about that very incident. But the damage is done at that point. And, and that's difference. They don't carry, they don't routinely carry guns. OK, cool. So um, there's been lots of demands flying around over the last few days about uh, what people, and, and before that, but more attention recently, about what can be done about police brutality. So what specific demands do you think will be effective against police brutality? People have been variously calling for defunding the police, disarming the police, scrapping the police, making the police accountable to elected scrutiny committees, making oh, sacking no. all the coppers and making them reapply for their own jobs. Um, Re reorienting the police towards helping vulnerable people and away from social control. Uh, what do you think of those? I think most of that is nonsense, frankly. We, we require a police force and when there is a problem, I will go to the police. If they don't respond accordingly, then I hold them accountable. But it's exhausting. I, I've complained on many occasions. I complained about someone being an idiot and some young lads threatening to arrest me because my back wheels of my car were on the on the drive of the police station so he said yeah take my number take my number so i took his number and i wrote the letter of a complaint and and i think frankly it was they probably caught it as it dropped through their their door and rushed round. so i had an inspector on my on my doorstep 
I have to say, I used to live opposite a police station, so it did make it easy for them to do stuff. And uh, he came around literally the next day and said, are you going to make a formal complaint? And I said, yep. And he said, uh, yeah, because this lad's, his, his, dad's in the co his dad's a copper, his granddad's a copper. I don't think he's got what it takes, frankly. So they were, <laughs> this was an opportunity for them to get rid of him. But it did take me to write the letter for that to be the case. So, and, and it's not, you know, not everybody can write those letters. Not everybody's in that position. Not everybody has that determination. And basically just, you know, just don't give up. And, and whatever and and maybe part of that because is because of the family I came from you know so I admit there's a there's a level of um there's a level of privilege I went to you know went to a good school my parents were both clever people and I suppose it was because I was never brought up to to expect to be anything other than uh privileged so I, I'm horrified if anybody says anything inappropriate to me, an elected official of any sort or anybody who works for me, which because the police work for me, you see, they don't work for them. They work for us. And that's the thing, you know, all, all the public servants work for us. I don't think there's any point in defunding anyone. You know, people might need a little bit of um, racial awareness training or whatever. And frankly, it's better than it was 20 years ago and in 20 years time it will be very different again but I think you have to deal with the people you have because who you can have in the police otherwise and we and we still need them we still need a police force we need a police force ridiculous to say otherwise um what we do is hold them to account more that's all and I think frankly the advent of uh, mobile phones has made that possible they are held to account more than it used to be so looking back to the two-tone movement and you know events around that time the 1981 riots the sus laws and stuff like that mm -hmm. how does the situation today compare with the situation then i'm not a black man so my my situation is pretty much the same as it was then i didn't get any more ag then than i do now and i know i was a lot younger then but yeah it's 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 very much about black men but black boys and black men uh what my son would have gone through back then i don't know but you see my brother didn't i don't i don't know if i ever really knew how my brother was treated on the street i don't i don't know because he probably wouldn't have said and he certainly wouldn't have told me so i don't know how it was for him it's got to be it's got to be a bit better than it was then but i got aggravation it was because i was on a demo or something like that I didn't you know I didn't get any egg going up and down the street I've always been I've always been free of that I think I've got stopped once um, and that was because they thought they were looking for someone who had escaped from a secure unit at the local um, psychiatric hospital so it was me they picked on I said uh, no <laughs> I think you got the wrong person and uh, have you got the ID yeah, I have, funnily enough. Okay, cool. Um, so again, I've kind of got two-tone in mind a bit for this question, but also uh, more broadly politically, I suppose, uh -huh. is that a lot of uh, two-tone was themed to a great extent around black and white unity, but also there, but there are obviously, uh, there's obviously also a need for black self-organisation and black community self-defence. 
Um, how can we combine those two things? How can we have black and white unity that, that but also support black self-organisation, self-defence? I haven't got those answers. You need to go to the intellectuals for those answers, the people who think about those things. I think everyone should organise, everybody should be active as much as they can, but not everybody has time to do that. So, you know, and, and quite often the people with the time aren't the people who, who need the most um, activism uh, around their situation. So, you know, if you've got a couple of jobs to run your household and feed your kids, you don't have time to go and be an activist. People who've got time to be an activist are the people who, you know, are generally young middle-class white people. They have the time to be activists because they don't work as long. They get paid better. They get their their privilege is such that they have the time to be activists. I mean, if they want to be allies, that's fine. But once again, I'm not here to tell you how to be an ally. I don't know. I mean, structurally, those things. Yes, people need to stand together. But you know, new single, they kind of do that anyway. We don't have to explain to young people how to move forward they know already that's the thing it's like we've done the work we did the work back then and I, I don't have to explain to them they know already that's why they rule out and it was mostly young people in those in those demos everywhere around I mean I'm not going to say around the world but the ones I've seen around the UK it was mostly young people and in London certainly and I know that from my own kids telling me not because I went um, because I'm 60 and I'm mixed race and I'm not going to, you know, I've I got to be more sensible. But um, my, my children went, I think it was important that they did, but I didn't have to tell them to do it. None of them had to be told. They knew it was their right and they went out and said it and, you know, good on them. Mm. So to what extent do you think this, like racism and police brutality, is an issue of class? I mean, you know, in this country, obviously... Our biggest problem is class, and you can break that down however you want. But class keeps faces like mine out of out of top universities and top schools and things like that. And not in an overt way, but just because in order to get to those top schools and then those top universities, it's quite possible you, you will have to have had some money behind you and... Let's face it, privilege is only get the, the disparity between top 10% and the bottom 10% is getting wider and it continues to, to, to do so. And um, there's very few faces of colour in the top 10%. Essentially, I remember my gran, <laughs> my gran used to say, my white granny, I should say, my white granny from Bristol used to say things like, we never needed slaves in this country because we had the working classes. I don't know how true that is, but that's how she saw things. And I think that's a fairly reasonable. I'm trying to think when she would have been born. I, d I don't even know. I think she was the same age as my dad, virtually. So she would have been born in uh, 18 something, you know, late 1890s. I mean, you know, and, and it has continued ever thus. And if the fact is in education that white working class boys are the, the lowest achievers, then that kind of tells you, it speaks volumes, doesn't it? Immigrants quite often will, and especially, especially first generation immigrants, will really want, they come, they want to do well, they kind of work hard for their kids and things like that. 
I mean, all those kind of Jamaican people who came to UK and worked hard, bought their houses and then emigrated back, you know, so went back to the Caribbean or whatever and left their kids with houses and things like that. I mean, that's, that's kind of first generation, but that first generation were educated amongst their own people in their own country. And it's the second generation that suffered because they were the ones who, who, who came across the racism. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't kind of hidden or anything. It was overt racism in, in the classroom. And if you're already a fully formed adult, it can hit you hard. But if you're a child and that's what you come across, I mean, that must, you know, it must have destroyed people. And when I was in primary school, there weren't that many black kids when I was in primary school in the 60s. And when I went to secondary school, there were five of us when I first went there. There were five of us out of 500. But I still know two of them, the two girls are in my year. But we spent hours arguing about our politics and where we stand. And I think we're all three of us completely certain of what we think where we stand and you know we got we got the answers because we had to because together we made sense of it class is the big is the big problem and i mean we went to a grammar school um they don't exist anymore in london so we were we were already streamed away from majority populations um, and we were deemed that we were going to achieve, although in the, because it was a working class grammar school in South London, we weren't expected to go to university, we were expected to join the civil service. And I think all of us at one point were civil servants, but we weren't expected to do too much. I think there were only like two or three girls went to uni from, from my school. And, you know, that was that was as it should be. They didn't expect, you know... We weren't, that, we weren't educated for that. We weren't educated for that. We were educated to be the middle people between the people who ran things and the people who were run. So, yeah, class is, is it's more about class than anything in the UK. We're much less of a meritocracy than we used to be as well. So being a black academic doesn't move you up in the way it used to. I mean, you know, it does if you're on the telly or if you've got a book, but... Um, yeah, it doesn't move you up in the same way. We're less, as a society, we're less of a meritocracy. It really is about, it's about the, the dollar, mighty dollar. And that's what it all, that's what it all runs on now. So yeah, class is, is our biggest, that's our biggest enemy. How well do you think the left and the Labour movement involves BAME people? And how well do you think they, those movements fight against racism? What more do you think they could do? When I was in Red Wedge in the, in the 80s after the minor strike, because we used to have lots of meetings in the Shadow Cabinet Office at Labour Party headquarters uh, when it was on Walworth Road. And um, we used to refer to like unions and the, the upper echelons of the party as the fat men in red ties, because that's what they were, essentially. And, you know, <laughs> they weren't interested in us. They were interested in women, they were interested in black people, they were fat men in red ties, and those were the people they were out to save. I'm sure it has changed. I'm not sure how much. I'm a union member, and I am, um, I suppose I'm affiliated to Labour Party, it's affiliated to Labour Party, I pay my subs and whatever, but I'm not a Labour Party member. Yeah, the left, the left <laughs> has its own agenda, and 
it doesn't really want to be bothered with the likes of me. I'm just trouble. You know, I mean, I can remember Labour Party black sections back in the day coming lecturing Red Wedge about how, how things should be done. And I think I lost my shit with a guy. Mark Wadsworth, his name was. He, was, he used to work, he used to be on the telly. I lost it with him. He was just talking a pile of nonsense. Because essentially it's about people, you know, people put themselves, oh, well, I, you know, I, I'll take over it. I'll run it. You know, and it's, it just becomes a, a, a vehicle for their own agenda. But, yeah, how good is the left? Well, I don't know. How many female prime ministers we had in this country? Two. What party are they from? The Tory party. The Tory party. How funny is that? So many. Why there's so many black people in the Tory party, I don't know. But then my dad was a black Tory. So I understand that they exist. Maybe. And let's face it. You know, sometimes if you're the only black face in the room, you'll get elected to a position because everybody else feels that that will, you know, absolve them of any further duty to do anything. And I genuinely have used that sometimes myself. You know, if I'm the, if the only black face in the room or the only woman in the room, I will say shit that they don't want to hear because I can and nobody will shout me down, frankly. And I can remember genuinely... Uh, in the late 80s when when uh, having red wedge meetings and somebody would say you're not a socialist if well i mean you know as soon as you start saying that i've stopped listening you're not a socialist if you don't believe in a united ireland it's like shut up <laughs> shut up what do you know are you irish no do you live there no ask the people who live there see what they think see what they want you know, I mean, as it happens, the Irish Republic has come has come on so much further than not than the North um, politically, and they've done it on their own. And look at them with their own black president. Look at that now, Leo Varadkar, a gay man of colour, uh, a doctor, went back to work in the hospital during the during the virus. That's never going to happen in the North, not for a hundred years, I bet you. So I reckon. Um, the left, well, it, it does its best, but it's very, you know, there's a lot of hand-wringing. It, what it needs is, obviously, leadership, and Corbyn, bless him, nice enough bloke, but absolutely hopeless, you know, when it comes to, like, the parliamentary stuff, which is what you need to be able to do. I mean, you know, if you, if you want to be an activist, that's a different thing. You can, you can uh, encourage whatever. But when uh, white middle-class activists tell me how I should behave, I'm not really not going to do it. A lot of the changes in society have been brought about by two distinct groups. One was unions and the fact that unions have become so disenfranchised. They don't have the power base um, that they used to have. So it doesn't encompass people in the same way it did. It doesn't bring people into the labour movement and... Um, and when I say educate, I don't mean in a patronising way, but I mean, you know, people start, if you start going to meetings, you learn a bit more and you hear a bit more and you might go and read a bit over here. And that's what happens. Um, and if you don't have that um, sort of conduit into the de facto labour movement, then how are people going to get into it? Well, the, the other way then is via kind of university, isn't it? It's kind of being politicised at university since so many people go to uni now. That's people who already have a little bit more privilege than the people that they're uh, endeavouring to represent. And so therefore 
they end up speaking for people instead of empowering them to speak for themselves and that's you know that's all a bit kind of we've seen that before so the whole the whole problem is the fact that there is disparity such massive disparity between the, the top 10 percent and bottom 10 percent until the bottom 10 percent can work a reasonable number of hours and have a reasonable standard of living they do not have the time to take part in this activism that will um, hopefully bring about a massive change it has to be left to people who have the time and energy and so once again i come back to the fact that in this country the biggest struggle is actually a class struggle that's the bottom line and until we we put that right um I don't see how we're going to move from that. Because, I, I mean, I had a massive... I was in this accountability group, a um, load of female musicians. Well, not only female musicians, mostly. And uh, a lot of them were white American, sort of middle America, the kind of people I've never met in my life. So I was kind of interested because... I was kind of interested in more like, kind of like... It was that kind of, you know, gawping. But anyway, they had, on Blackout Tuesday, there was a discussion about how they felt about what was going on in America and uh, I had to keep switching off my camera because I was laughing I was I was laughing so much I was actually crying it was so funny uh, all these people wringing their hands and that, some of them were in tears ring and wringing their hands and and in the end I somebody said something so outrageous I just lost my shit and I told them how ridiculous they were and uh, go and do something useful with your time and in all honesty, if you want to talk about race uh, and there are two people of colour, it's not, it's not that we're here to tell you what to say. You at least acknowledge their presence before you carry on. And I said, and your biggest problem in the US is the fact that you're all standing on stolen land. And until you start acknowledging the fact that your land is stolen from someone else, uh, you, you can't even begin to put, until you put that right, you can't put the rest of it right. You know, I mean, even in Australia, where you don't even see black people, they at least acknowledge the fact that the land was once owned by someone else when you, you know, when they have a well, radio stations even do it, you know what I mean? But, uh, and, and then they said, well, some try, you know, when you, when you do choirs, they sometimes do that. And I thought, yeah, of course they do. <laughs> of course they do. Lots of lovely white middle-class women all together. Oh yeah, we must acknowledge the land. I said, well, good, you know, because it's a start. But wringing your hands and crying is really not going to make any difference. And, you know, if you feel bad, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. And if I've made you feel worse, good. Final question, which is, how important is it for us to debate and educate ourselves about these issues? So issues of racism, police brutality, etc. Uh, are there any subjects or resources that you would recommend? Uh, absolutely not because I'm not an intellectual and really it's your problem not mine so you've got to sort that out yourself if you want to know resources and things like that go to someone who, who knows about that I mean if, if you want to know chapter and verse you, you don't ask me you ask someone like Arcala because Arcala has read all the books and can quote you uh, whatever I can't do that I, I genuinely I read science fiction and books about music I don't read you know tomes on politi uh, political polemics which he does um, so you are someone like Emma Dabiri there's enough stuff online where people have said you know and the letter starts dear white people yeah not my problem mate do it yourself 
my politics is there in my lyrics and that's the thing to go out and support go and support like you know if artists are making art that that is that has an agenda of taking us forward then it's all good you know i'm a i'm a lyricist and that and that's where i put my um put my sort of filtered ideas because the thing is you know me going off on one and throwing a wobbler is one thing but like actually considered ideas come out in my lyrics because that's my job you know that's my job i'm not a politician this is the sort of thing we have in this is um one of these things from one of those children's games I yeah i don't even know what it's called because i i don't do them um mm. and bless it look it's in, in an england rugby shirt <laughs> Because that, that's who we are. There no, I mean, that's, that's the thing. The identity is very much English. Mm. Uh, English. And uh, I, I take that and own it. And, um, you know, well, yeah, but, yeah, but you're... No, 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 I'm English, mate. I'm English. You know, I'm English. And I was English as anybody else because the original inhabitants of this land have been... have died out, you know, thousands of years ago. Mm. So uh, and frankly, you know that. Remember, there was that that uh, that body that they 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 did the DNA sequence on, and uh, the guy I forget was from the Cheddar Man. Cheddar Man oh, yeah, yeah. had black skin, straight hair, and blue eyes. Yeah, that's that's English. That's the oldest English yeah, yeah. man you come across. So <laughs> I've got as much right as anybody else to call myself English. So yeah, it's important to own that as well. You know, I'm English. Deal with it. That simple.